Hello, beautiful people. You are listening to the Communal Table Podcast, part of Food & Wine Pro. I'm your host, Kat Kinsman, senior editor at Food & Wine, coming to you from my Brooklyn apartment where the radiators clang and the dogs bark, and that's just how it's going. When Claudette Zepeda was at her most stressed out, as she puts it, my neck went away. Her shoulders were in a permanent state of hunch, and she'd been advised at a new job to bring her, quote, knives and anti-anxiety medication. But she learned along the way to advocate for herself, for people who'd always been marginalized in the world of food, and for the Mexican dishes that generations of her family held dear. The top chef alum and executive chef of the Alila Morea Beach Resort, she joined Food & Wine for a conversation about breaking bad patterns, communing with her ancestors, being completely humbled and roasted by her teenagers, and mentoring the next generation of chefs. Hey, Claudette. Can you tell me a little bit about where you are right at this moment? Right now, I am in my incredibly beautiful yellow chef's office at the hotel that I am set to open and cross my fingers a month (laughs) I have every digit cross for you. And (laughs) also, uh, kudos to you for opening up in the middle of absolute madness. And I'd love to talk about what that has uh, been like for you. Um, So tell folks where this is. So uh, I am located in San Diego, California, and the hotel is Alila Morea, and it is located at Encinitas, so North County, San Diego, about 30, no, about 45 minutes from the border. Okay. And this is a new venture for you. This is, uh, you know, so were you set with a previous opening date or is this something that has been happening just like during the pandemic? Uh, no, what well, we were originally slated to this project has actually been in my bubble uh, since the end of 2018. Wow. And the owners wanted to, they projected to open in New Year's of uh, 2020. Yeah, well. <laughs> and I, I remember asking them in 2019, I said, are you sure you're going to hit that date? You know, because I had opened El Javin six months after I was supposed to open. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're like, no, no, no. I mean, they're, they're developers. That's what they do. I mean, they're the pros. And here we are. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, I'm thinking about the last time I saw you, which is actually the first time I met you in person, though I've been following your work for a a long time. Uh, We were in Philadelphia together at the beginning of March 2020. And I have to say, I was just in awe of you. And you were on a, uh, you were on a panel. And you were talking about sort of what you've normalized in your restaurants, you know, a lot of a lot to do with childcare, a lot to do with sort of providing role models. And at that point, I got, I think back to like how, how, how fresh and different we all were (laughs) at this time and what this is all, uh, the different, uh, you know, what all has changed. So this is obviously not your, your first opening. What is different about this one for you? There is absolutely zero precedent on how to do it <laughs> during this time, this like unrest worldwide that I have, I've never felt so unstable in the floor that I'm walking on, not yeah. knowing what's going to get thrown my way, you know, but that's why we do what we do. Cause it's like life on the line is the same way. So mm-hmm. I think chefs are, exceptionally well prepared for adapting to any situation uh it's just definitely one of those experiences that 
you can't go back and reference another opening and be like, oh, well, I did it this way then because everything is completely upside down and bonkers. And, you know, farms are closing as much as you want to stay hyper local. All of a sudden, all your farmers are out of business or, you know, you, it's a lot, it's a lot harder. I feel like one of those little ants that you see, like those little memes, you know, like pushing a rock up a mountain. <laughs> um, one day at a time. Yeah. I mean, I've, you know, I've been following along on Instagram as you have been doing this. And I want to talk about the conversation that you have started and been really open about on Instagram that you really wanted to be in a really good place for yourself because like openings are notoriously brutal. I mean, it's baked in from, from the get go. And you know, folks in the industry who are listening to this, like, you know, all too well, but um, could you explain for the civilians a little bit about <laughs> what that entails and the measures that you have taken uh, to get yourself into a place where you were strong enough in every different way to, to do this? It's, it's definitely like an everyday journey for me. Uh, a lot of the work, the mental health is incredibly important to me yeah. for my staff. Um, and it, it gets to a point when you are the leader where you're so concerned of how everyone else is doing and you put yourself second. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a mother of two teenagers. So that's also, you know, just my plight in life of always feeling like I have to make sure everyone else is right before me. Um, and then I kind of flipped that concept on its head because it just doesn't work. You cannot help. It's like the, the mask thing in, air, in airplanes, right? Like you have, you can't help your, put your neighbor if you don't have your mask on first. Right. Uh, I, so, I love yeah. that analogy. I use that one a lot. <laughs> yeah. And it's, I started going into, when I filmed Top Chef Mexico, one of my uh, fellow contestants was from Oaxaca. Ixel is from Oaxaca. And uh, she, while I was already, like, I already had my astrologer in my, you know, Rolodex, and I was already trying to go into the more spiritual side of life and trying to prepare myself for my kids' like, adulthood of, oh, you know, I'm a friggin' mess. Let's figure out what I am doing so my kids don't, like, end up, you know, inheriting all my crap. Um, and so she, I went to Oaxaca with her and I did a demascal, which is this uh, sweat lodge experience where you go into this tiny little door and you have these herbs and you just are bathing yourself in this hot water and herbs. And it is a very outside of your body experience. And uh, that was really like the, the seed that was planted. Um, I had to take care of myself. I was uh, about 80 pounds overweight and just very unhappy I was drinking I was having like six full-on dinners that you know I was R&Ding for my restaurant and it was everything was in excess and I was incredibly sad so the journey has uh you know it's still going it's five years later and I feel like I'm in a much better place but I'm constantly checking myself and like taking my own temperature so to speak of being like very present and realizing when I like want to like lash out at my kids for them doing something that is not a huge deal and like what's the trigger what's where that crap is coming up from and address it you know understand the feeling be in the feeling but don't become the feeling it's really like something that I've been really focusing on uh journaling meditating has uh definitely 
changed my life and doing a lot of uh, ancestral trauma healing uh, with a couple of different mentors. Can you talk about what uh, that is? <laughs> ancestral. Well, everyone, and this is, uh, you know, you believe what you want to believe and everything you believe in has power, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, for me, like I said, I'm not religious, but I'm very spiritual. And I understand that in the in the work that I've done, especially going to Oaxaca with Michelle, having these conversations with her of, you know, women are creators of life. So how can we not, and I talk about fingerprints and food, right? And the fingerprints that we leave on people's experiences and restaurants and hospitality, well, our ancestors do the same thing to us. They leave imprints in us from their experiences, right? So when I was, if I was, if my mother experienced a trauma while she was pregnant with me, I absorbed some of that negative energy. I, we are energetic beings. We are humans. We are stardust, Bowie. Um, yeah. And we... if you, you know, and I don't know if people think I'm crazy. Half of no. people think I'm crazy and like witchy, but I'm, I'm very much in tune to mother earth. I'm very much in tune to, you know, the, the stars. And I feel like, our ancestors, my grandparents and my grand, all the women in my life have had an extremely hard life. Mm-hmm. So I started noticing patterns just within my generation of cousins of, wow, not one is in a relationship that, you know, is beautiful and, and you know, admirable. And it's, it's always a struggle. And I didn't want to do that again. You know, I left my kid's father after my daughter was born and it was an abusive relationship. And I realized there's patterns and we repeat our past our generally our ancestors patterns because as women, like I said, we create life. So in our womb, we have like almost like a DNA, like a coding of all of the women that came before us, thousands of women. Right. And if you believe in, you know, reincarnating then you have also like that karmic contract that of your other lives and all that stuff so that's the work that I do is really understanding what my purpose is um, in this lifetime uh, where where I am strongest you know where if I have a voice you know how can I best use it you know how do I not squander the gifts that I have which is food which is talking about things that are important to me and you know, I am very much aware that when I speak, people listen because I'm passionate about it and, you know, living my, as silly as that, living my best life and yeah. really sharing what I know, what it, what I love and what I, you know, the education part of my job is one of my biggest passions. Thank you for explaining all of that too, because I, it, it really, it really hits home uh, for me in a lot of ways, those, those sort of repetition of patterns and, and just, you know, I've seen things come down through my own uh, family with, with, with trauma, with mental illness, with all of these things. And, you know, and it surely did not escape me that my, uh, my grandmother lost both her, her mother and her daughter, you know, my mother in pandemics a uh, hundred years apart. I mean, my grandma you wow. know, died a few years ago at the age of, I think, 103, but these things, they, they repeat and it takes so much work and energy to identify those, those things and make some sort of a, you know, a course correction for them. You know, I, I don't have children, but, you know, I try to you know, be a positive influence in the life of, you know, the young people. I have a, I have a gazillion grandnieces and grandnephews and, you know, trying to, you know, model for them that, 
you know, you can, you can be a, you know, a wonderful weirdo and people will still love you for it and all these kind of things. But what I love also is that you're, you're talking about this so openly because so much of the, the worst parts of chef culture have been really lionizing uh, the sort of like the shut up and cook of it all the like you just tamp that down you just you don't uh, you know take any care for yourself it's seen as a badge of honor but we've all seen the deep fissures that that has created in the industry and it's just absolutely not sustainable no and um, something that I also learned about myself is I'm an intuitive empath so I not only have that like incredible female intuition that really drives a lot of what I do and how I behave but I'm also, I absorb shitty feelings. The same, I'm a sponge. <laughs> yeah, so it, it's creating a force field because this industry, like you said, it's like it's incredi- it can be incredibly toxic. It can also be incredibly beautiful. And mm-hmm. it's just finding finding your people, finding your, your tribe. And uh, the beginning, I mean, I've been doing this professionally going on 19 years. And mm-hmm. the beginning of my career has, was, I didn't have a neck because my chefs were so awful to me. My head was literally inside my body. Like my neck was in. And I just, you know, I remember going to a stage in Chicago and I said, you know, what should I bring? And they said, you're anti-anxiety meds and your knives. And it's like, that sucks, right? And imagine being a, you know, and we make jokes of misfits and broken kids, if there is truth to that. Uh, But how do you, how do you change it? Because hate breeds hate. And if all, like you just, create this toxic circle of repetition and it's an infinity of just shitty humans that for for no reason because you think you're cool because you think you're a badass I still cook I still wash dishes like I am I I don't want to ever feel like I'm above anyone and that is something that is very personal and you have to get there and you have to like set your ego aside again I'm a mother of two teenagers so my ego pretty much checked every day I've been thinking I'm the least coolest person ever you just get roasted constantly (laughs) constantly oh my god I mean it's it it really how did you get your neck out like how did you like (laughs) what was it in you it's I, my heart just breaks because I know so many women and queer folks and non-binary folks and and people who just didn't fit the model who were driven out of food because of this t- being the recipient of this like horrifying behavior and it just breaks my heart because like I I sort of you know, think of this alternate universe where all of these people could have kept on cooking and being leaders and we could have gone an entirely different way what was what was the thing that made you realize like hey this is I'm you know I deserve to be treated better than this there's another way to do it a lot of it has to do with being a mother to a young girl yeah Um, that definitely is a big like the fire and in the furnace is uh, definitely fueled by my kids and <laughs> how I want to walk in life, you know, how, how I want my son to treat women and how I want my daughter to respect herself and, in any given environment. And um, I mean, there, it was really needing, it was one, finding good men in this industry was huge. Gavin Kaysen is one of my mentors. And you know, I used to be, I was Gavin's pastry chef here in San Diego, and 
then he went to New York. I tried to follow him. That was an awful choice. I don't know what the idea went through my head of I can survive in New York with two babies with zero people that I knew. But I went and I did that. And uh, that didn't work out. But then I started having to go to New York for other things. And, you know, for I was able to afford to go for fun once. And I would always go back to Gavin's, uh, to Cafe Balloud and have these conversations with him of, you know, sometimes I'd catch myself complaining about somebody else and, and it was just like, God, she's, she's lazy or she's lazy. And then he really kind of like shook me a little bit and mm-hmm. said, I mean, not, not literally, but he, <laughs> he just said, that, that wouldn't be very Gavin. <laughs> no, but he, uh, he said something to me that has always stuck to me. And when people ask me for an advice, I always say what Gavin told me. And he said, keep your head down. Eventually you'll be the only one in the race. You'll look up and everyone will have worked themselves out of the job because Mm-hmm. what they're doing isn't your problem and what you're doing isn't their problem and then there's that you know that was like the wake-up call of like shit okay I spend too much time worrying about what other people aren't doing that I'm not focusing on pushing myself or my trajectory forward um and you know standing up straight asking for my place at the table um that's when I started asking and then you know just stride after stride the place at the table, um, the chair was being pulled out for me because I was, you know, I was strong willed and, you know, I've always been, but I, I was always also afraid of the stereotypes in kitchens, which I'm sure you're well aware of, of, Mm -hmm. you know, you're better seen, not heard and, you know, shut up and cook. And if you're a woman, oh my God, it's even worse. You're going to fucking die. Are you on your period? And yeah, it's it's hard. I was (laughs) just, yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I'm just saying that the, the really being proud of or having my kids be proud of who, who I am, that's the biggest drive. Yeah, I, w- I was just recently, I've, I've been delving into uh, sort of chef shows from the 90s and the early 2000s, like sitcoms. Mm-hmm. And there was, I've been watching uh, Chef with Lenny Henry. It was like BBC show from 93 to 96. Really amazing wow. show. And it just like, he, and he plays the, the, you know, the very, very shouty chef and stuff like that. But oddly, it, it sort of holds up because people check him on his behavior. But then I was watching the sitcom version of Kitchen Confidential that only ended up airing four episodes, I, I think. And and it's so, like, in the first, like, 15 seconds of this episode I was watching, it is really just that horrible, like, gross thing of dudes being gross in the kitchen and marginalizing the women and, and all that stuff. And I'm like, I can't believe that was celebrated at some point. It's Bradley yeah. Cooper playing Jack Bourdain. It's all a very... Uh, you can find it online. It's it's a very it's a God. It's a terrible show. Um, <laughs> but this all goes to say, like the um, you know the standing up and advocating for yourself. Like I think that that is something that a lot of a lot of folks really you know, need somebody to pull them aside and be like, hey, you are worth um, this thing. Like, you know, if it's women, it's non-binary folks, it's trans folks, it, it's it's black and brown people who have been, you know, systematically dehumanized in things. Like, if you're not yeah. told that you deserve that thing, you know, you don't, you, you don't always know that, you know, this is, this is your right to be treated like a freaking human being. But moreover... Yeah you're allowed to ask for more. And you and I were you know, talking a little bit about before we started recording about having to be kind of your own hype 
uh, person and you were sort of expressing a little mm -hmm. bit of reticence about like, you know, hyping your new restaurant. And like, all I want to mm -hmm. do is go in there and be your hype man because it's going to be amazing. Can we talk about that emotional process of like having to, you know, especially in this age where we're all separated from each other and really relying on social media a lot, like having to step out there and, and do that where you can't hide? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, also chefs are a little self-deprecating at times, yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it, so we have that going for us. Um, but I think, you know, when we talk about like advocating for yourself and, you know, asking for that face at the table, I've also been fired because I've rubbed people the wrong way. I've mm -hmm. been fired multiple times and that never has deviated my true north on, well, it's not my problem. It's their problem. Why they have, you know, an issue with me. And, you know, the, having to there's so much white noise out there and I, even before this pandemic like if you're if you're successful if, if there's a write-up on you you know it's this very i think a lot i mean all of my friends are incredibly humble like my circle is really good humans yeah um, and we all don't like to celebrate our wins we all have a very <laughs> hard time taking uh praise and accepting it and like it's always no. The goalposts just got further away, right? Like you don't yeah. really take the the win. Um, and so it, I'm more. I'm I'm so focused on giving other people opportunity in this industry that wouldn't normally have it or aren't being seen that I don't focus on on the wins or on yeah. on these like great greater moments because all I'm my head's kind of you know, down in the moment, um, thinking on how I can be better, thinking on how much I can do uh, to help the collective, so to speak. Um, so it, it's, and when I, you know, it's hard for me to talk about, you know, all these good things is because I also am incredibly aware of a lot of people that don't have the opportunities that I've had, or especially right now that are like losing their first restaurant they've had for yeah you know, decades. And uh, I'm, I want to be sensitive to that. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, to me, um, you know, the way I've been trying to sort of frame this for myself is, you know, if, if I, you know, can be happy, you know, for, for something I've, I've done and, you know, and, and sort of, you know, it, it lets somebody else know that they can do it too. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, and try to, what I've seen you do in, in so many interviews is like, I do see you doing that where you're like hyping everybody but you. <laughs> and, and, you know, and I, I, I've found that like, especially during this time, the thing that has really gotten me through is uh, group texts. And, mm -hmm. you know, especially with, you know, other women has, we're, we're all kind of like agreed to be each other's cheerleaders has really, you know, it's been, it's been an amazing thing. And I see friends of mine who I think are amazing and do incredible things. And they're just, they're not, you know, hyping their own stuff. So I was like, let me do that for you. It's a genuine pleasure. And then if I see them doing it, it's like, you know, it, it, you know, when people see them doing it, they think like, oh, maybe I can do it as well. And you've been incredibly vocal about, you know, especially saying that when you were growing up, you weren't able to really have those role models to look to. And so, yeah you know, visibility is such a tremendously huge uh, thing. And, you know, and I've seen you do nothing but like, you know, bring other people into the, the fold um, there as well. 
maybe could you talk about like how people can develop kind of better practices for that? Like, what is the, like, do you have a metric that you use? Is it just organic or like, Hey, I'm going to talk about three different people. I'm going to you know, put drop stuff in conversation. Here's how I bring other people to the table. Yeah, I feel like it happens organically. Uh, I always, you know, I, I say a phrase to myself, it's like, you know, there's enough sun for everyone to shine. Um, yeah. I just always tell myself that. And I see, you know, I am incredibly aware of being the intuitive woman that I am when people are not authentically nice to me and like the mm. friend of me vibe. <laughs> so I, I keep my energy is, is sacred to me. It's, it's my currency. Mm. And I just, uh, for me, I always think, if I have, again, if I have a platform, if I have a voice, how can I help someone believe in themselves? Or how can I yeah. be a better role model for kids that there isn't enough representation of, you know, brown successful women or, or even young men? Like I get messages daily on a daily basis, wow. you know, 10, 20, 30, depending on what I post that it resonates with them, of, you know, coming from the same kind of shitty environment that I came I grew up in and if I can give someone hope that makes me like my job is done right like one foot in front of the other but always looking to my side no one's ever behind me like my sous chefs they're not behind me they're next to me like I wouldn't be who I wouldn't have the career that I've had if it weren't for the right people around me that you know my, my pastry chef here at the hotel has been cooking with me for five years and she started off as a pastry cook at Bracero and then she was my sous chef at El Jardin so every accolade was a hundred percent her win as well so I try to see you know who who and it's not like oh well you already had a turn so yeah but it it is just who I am inspired by I, you know when I write menus and uh, when I think about food and creating and spaces I want to do and like so like the new restaurant I, I am a very holistic in the approach of the environment that I create in the restaurants that mm -hmm. I run. And a lot of it is, you know, who would I want to come here and think and, and like swap me out and they could take care of it just like I would, yeah. you know, and, and those good hearted people, that's who I want to see shine. And that's who I want, like their wins don't make my, my wins any less. Yeah. It has nothing to do with me. And, and same with the hate. You know, their people's hate has absolutely zero to do with me. It's their own shit that they haven't addressed and their own shadow work, so to speak. Like, it's not my problem. It's not my job to fix them. Same as it's not my job to fix, women, you know, men as women we try to do. It's not my job. I mean, I, oh God, I mean, I think a lot of people really sort of need to hear that about, because I think there's so much, you know, pain and hate and and uh there's a thing my husband and I call uh fear fear biting <laughs> and so people behave badly because sometimes they're they feel scared or threatened and that doesn't make it okay that they have behaved badly but like you know sometimes I, I try to figure out a reason and sometimes I'm just like I don't have the energy you're just being a shitty person and I don't have time for you <laughs> you know yeah. it comes into it a lot but like I'm I'm seeing you know, so much of that coming out right now. And, and it really takes everything in me not to just keep kind of feeding that, that, that sort of upset and outrage in, in myself and thinking like, oh, that's person is being a jerk and I should say something back mm -hmm. to them on Twitter or something like that. I'm like, it does no good. They're not going to listen. They're not going to, it's not going to change them fundamentally. And, you know, and instead refocusing that, 
that energy is a much better thing. And, you know, I keep coming back to oh, that. I remember when I saw your cover of Food and Wine in a layout meeting, and I just like stopped at the table and I gasped at the photo of your food on that cover. And I want to talk about that moment, like when you see that and you see this food that you make, that you champion, that is your your everything, like on the front of a magazine. What is that process like for you? It, it was, I'm going to get emotional. It was um, kind of that, the, the nod, you know, from from someone that you look up to. You know, if I close my eyes and you're doing something, like it, I can kind of visualize like being what a sports person would feel like if they hit, you know, in sports ball, they hit a home run or whatever. It's like yeah. having their fans look at them and just nod like, yes, you did it. And I can close my eyes and see all of the people that have helped me become me um, and, you know, the ancestors and my grandmother and just like one of those like, you know, cheesy 80s compilation end of a movie where everyone's slow clapping. Yes. That's, that's what I, that's, that was something that I felt, um, you know, and I remember going to TJ with Jordana and showing her, you know, kind of my old stomping grounds of where I, you know, grew up and the people, the smells, the colors, the textures, and, you know, it's, it was a very special moment. I, my mom was like, why isn't your face in the cover? And I was like, the food is more important. And I'll get the face later. The food is like, to have birria tacos with, and then, you know, and then inside, you know, talking about the women winemakers that I was, I'm so passionate about supporting. For me, it was, it was groundbreaking for me. You know, it's like, I don't care if someone thinks that it wasn't good enough or, you know, oh, it could have been better or whatever it it was a, such a big win uh for my family you know I'm my ancestors wild with green yeah I I've seen shirts that say that I think that's the most, <laughs> the most gorgeous thing and you know I I had such an emotional reaction the first time I saw that cover and I saw that layout and I saw I hadn't seen you before like what you actually looked like and to see you in all your gorgeous green-haired glory <laughs> I was like first of all like score one for for the weird kids you know and I, and I among which I, I you know I got myself uh, but it was it was just it was such an important moment uh you know and I, th I think internally because we all sort of you know saw the food and we felt the magic of that cover and like you know we go through sort of just process wise we look at different covers we look at you know other because they shoot all the recipes and stuff but that was the one we were all like it has to be this it has to be this, <laughs> this particular food because we you know we felt and knew the power and I'm just thinking if there was anybody out there who felt the need to like hate on that or do whatever, say it's not good enough. That is so much more about them than it is sort of that, like, well, why not me? Like kind of thing. Yeah. I'm like, well, <laughs> not your time, man. Or, you know, <laughs> you know, whatever it happens to be. Um, yeah. But I was just thinking of like all the other, like the kids who uh, were your teenagers at all impressed. Uh, I don't know. I, I think they don't tell me when they are. Right. Um, I, but, you know, this Christmas, I realized it, it really dawned on me that they actually do pay attention. You know, my son yesterday <laughs> purchased 
a, a drink for someone at the gas station because they didn't have their, they forgot their wallet. And those are those wins that they might not think I'm the coolest, but they do listen to when I speak. And, you know, Thanksgiving, we bought groceries for families and, you know, anonymous families that would just dump groceries at their doorstep. And that was, you know, my son would ask, oh, are they nearby? We can just take it to them. And so they don't think that I'm the coolest, but that they do pay attention. So one day, or maybe if you ask them and I'm not present, they'll tell you. You know, I uh, a friend of mine just this in in one of my group texts. <laughs> she was uh, she was sending us uh, the sort of report she just got from the school about her her kid who is eight, and it talked about his great moral compass and <laughs> you know and his activism. And I was like, pal, he learned that from watching you, and yeah. you know, and really like imprinted on him. This is how this stuff, you know, comes forward. And I want to talk also about like the food that you are championing and that you are doing because it's it's been just criminally undervalued in, uh, you know, especially in the United States. And I've had so many conversations with uh, people recently and it's, you know, a lot of chefs from Mexico or who cook in Mexico now and saying like, okay, yeah, like how come like sourdough had this big boom and everything like that? Why did Nixtamal like not have this thing like it's it's a, such a beautiful process it is uh you know it, uh, it it the result of it is absolutely incredible and yet people are sort of like you know resigned to you know shitty cheap tortillas in, <laughs> in this, this thing that should be absolute poetry um yeah. and you've been a great ambassador for you know the the value of this cuisine and i tell me your love letter here like speak a love <laughs> letter to it if you don't mind I, there was a a point in my travel, so I'll go back to the fall of 2014. I got to go to, I had no money. I had left one of the worst jobs openings that I had ever had. That was my no neck moment. Um, And I was like, I I can't do this anymore. Like I am, I was on, I had H. pylori, which is a bacteria that happens in the stomach lining from stress. And I, I take, uh, you know, Harper meds every morning and I just was taking all this shit and I was, <laughs> I was an empty human and my then husband uh, was coming back from deployment and I looked at him after him being gone a year and I said I have to go and my friend was going to uh, Morocco, Portugal and uh, Spain and I said can I go with you I have no money I can pay for my ticket and I promise I you know I, I eat on the cheap and I got to go with her and it was in Morocco that I, we were supposed to be there for three days and I ended up staying a week. Um, and mm-hmm. I remember going in the, I was in the old Medina and I made friends with the owner of the Riyadh we staying and he was, he would take me to the spice shop where his chef was shop. And the chef was a woman that spoke only Arabic and I obviously don't speak that. And we had, it got to a point where I would ask him will you just tell her to cook for me I just want her to cook for me and uh those were the best dishes that I've ever had and she was feeding me like I was her family and I remember going back home and realizing how much I craved Mexico how much I craved understanding who I was understanding like walking through the markets in Marrakesh and seeing the meat hanging and you know the joke of you know if there's flies on it that means it's good you don't want meat that doesn't have flies on it and you know like that's that's what we think too and and seeing that like cultural connection of 
we're all fucking same. We're all just mm-hmm. trying to do better one foot in front of the other. And, you know, because we look a certain, look a certain way or because just where we were born geographically, who our parents were, it dictates the rest of our lives. And I said, you know what, fuck that in a way. And I was like, I'm going to go to Mexico. And I sat at my aunt's table and my aunt was, she's my surrogate mother. I would go to Mexico and my mom might get her feelings hurt by that. But <laughs> I was spent half my uh, childhood and teenagehood in Guadalajara. And I was sitting at my aunt's table and I was like, I can't do this anymore. And she ran a restaurant, you know, my entire life. And mm-hmm. she was a single mother of six. And she said, you know, Mother Earth will always call you back to where you need to be. It, they, you don't have to do anything. You will be redirected. And I just understood that I needed to speak for those who did not have a voice and highlight who we were unapologetically and as demoralizing as it is, uh, as it was at Al-Harbin, uh, every single day having to speak to, please pay this. This is, we are, we are of value and yeah. this is what is right because I'm paying my cooks livable wages so they don't have to work two jobs. And this is a, you, you are eating something that takes days and has thousands of years of history, you know, and we would get really shitty comments by incredibly racist humans. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the first, you know, Esquire gave us best new restaurant and I had 10 yelps of people that ate the first day we opened and said, this was a one star. This is the shittiest experience Jesus. ever. I was like, why, why is that necessary? But again, all I kept thinking is in El Jardín, I had a wall um, in the hallway going towards the restrooms and I would walk that wall every single morning and light my sage and my candles and, you know, do my, do my work with my meeting with my grandma, I called it. Um, and those, they were the constant reminder of, I have to keep going. I have to, there's nothing that I love more than being uncomfortable in my <laughs> daily life that's what drives my yeah. my ambition my life and my purpose is to be like the I might have other chakras blocked but I promise you my throat chakra is never blocked <laughs> I will always speak for the people who cannot speak for themselves and it might rub people the wrong way but I think that I would be doing a disservice to myself and my children as a role model and my cooks you know I have tons of cooks that have developed their voice because I give them the strength to, and I give them the space to, I hold space for them to say, you know, chef, that was kind of fucked up. If I say something that's not nice or, you know, chef, I know you're really stressed out. How can I help you? And and, and it's this reciprocal relationship that it's beautiful. And then the same, you know, so how I speak to the cuisine of my country is how it's really about the humans that are in it. It really, at the end of the day, I, I feel like I'm transitioning from a chef to a humanitarian because I'm so intrigued in humans and sharing their story and showing everyone that we are more similar than we are different. And if they just shut the fuck up and eat the food in front of them, (laughs) way more peaceful world. But yeah, I mean, that's a long-winded answer. But but no, no, it gets, it does. And I think you, you hit at the absolute core of it, the people at, you know, who, who, uh, you know, who make this food, who have for hundreds or thousands of years done these things. Like when you eat these 
transportive dishes where you can taste the labor of all that time, whether it's, you know, the days that went into physically making that bite or the history that led up to, you know, this, this process, like it, there, mm-hmm. you can taste it. It's, it's there. And mm-hmm. I wonder if, you know, this, this pandemic has given us such a weird inflection point because we are so separate from so many things. I found myself craving the tangible in a really, really big way. Like I'm lucky enough to be, you know, quarantined with my, my husband so I get to hug him, but I have friends who have not mm-hmm. been able to like touch another human for coming up on a year now. And I found myself uh, like really appreciating tactile experiences because I'm not out there smelling the world and touching it in that that same same kind of way and just that you know recharging it in that particular way i'm wondering what this all looks like in daily practice with uh with your team like because i think there are a lot of people who want to refigure how they run their restaurants because the i'm sorry the french brigade system and all that stuff is tired it's of a different world it's all that it's good for some practical things, but the way that it is manifested is it should be relegated. Yeah. 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 It's just toxic. It's, it's, I understand. I understand the, the, I'm sorry to cut you off. No, no, um, go, go. And <laughs> I understand the. I came up in the industry in a French restaurant, you know, was, and that was definitely part of who I was. I got fired from Bracero after we got nominated for best new restaurant in James Beard uh, because the excuse was, you know, I was too militant. They said I wasn't uh, approachable. And I said, you know, but we're getting it done. I have a 250 seat restaurant with 50 cooks. How would you like me to be? Cause they're going <laughs> to squash me if I am, if I push over. Right. And that like the brigade system kind of has the same role. If you're not a, if you're not a jerk to everyone, they don't respect you. And, you know, like mm-hmm. there's a hierarchy and a totem pole and all that, all those cliches, but really it's, the way I look at my restaurant, that's the way I focus on how to be when I, I have a big list person. Um, mm. That's my former pastry chef life. And um, I always make lists of whenever I start a new project, pros and cons of anywhere I've ever worked, of any project I've ever been through or a pop-up where I've really admired the way a chef did it. And what I've always come back around to is there's no, no one has a set position in my restaurant. Besides, even the sous chefs, like if I, if I, I would, at El Jardin, every Wednesday, I did the dishes. We could not find a dishwasher on Wednesdays to save our lives. So I said, you know what? You guys run expo to my sous chefs. You guys run expo. I will do the dishes. And it made everyone incredibly uncomfortable, but it was important for me. A, that's like my, my time. It's my, no one asks you for help or for anything when you're doing dishes. Like, and it's a perfect time to stare at a wall and get shit done, like mentally. Yeah. And uh, all my cooks could do all my all the positions inside the restaurant. Uh, I'm a crazy proponent of cross training. So everyone, if you look at the French brigade system, everyone's a tournant. Everyone can do anything, uh, including pastry. I would never hire a sous chef that didn't have several years at least of understanding pastry basics. Um, and there's no egos allowed. So if, if I'm going to do it, if I'm going to be in the shit, you're going to be in the shit next to me. And if you have a problem with that, then this is not the right culture for you, you know, mm-hmm. and just interviewing for the hotel. I had the, I had a cook that works at a very French brigade style restaurant, <laughs> uh, another hotel property. And he said, you know, I want to know, like, you know, how's it going to be when, when, you know, 
it, it kind of blows up, like the chaos starts. And I started laughing. I said, what chaos? The chaos is maybe internally, but there's not going to be any chaos. I said, you have, you will always be supported. If you are in the weeds, you are always going to be pulled out by someone next to you. If that's me, then that's me. But there's no, there's no yelling at you. There's no belittling. There's no throwing shit. Like, no, like if that's what you want, if that's how you thrive, this is not the restaurant for you. And he said, oh, it's, it's refreshing. I've never been in a restaurant like that. And I was like, yeah, well, welcome to the team if you want it, but do not bring that shit here. You know, there's people that definitely come from that background and try to become counselors in my space. And I just cut that shit right out. Like, no, it's not allowed. I mean, that's, that's part of, I mean, that, that was one of the, my grand sort of revelations and processes as an adult that like, I don't have to keep people in my life if they're being terrible at our constant source <laughs> of, you know, pain and agita. When you told him yeah. that, did his neck emerge? <laughs> yeah, he, uh, he had a smile on his face. Um, so... Another thing that I really love doing when I travel is taking pictures that once I ask for permission of people's faces and seeing the glimmer and the fire in people's eyes in yeah. developing niches is one of my favorite things. Um, and I see it in cooks. I, I am, again, that intuitive witchy side of me is able to see someone's potential before they see it for themselves mm-hmm. and uh, seeing, you know, telling someone that this is a safe place, uh, you can feel the relief. Mm-hmm. Um, you can feel that like shoulders drop. That that's all I want to do. I just want to. If I don't cook and I could just mentor for the rest of my career, mm-hmm. I'd be okay. Like I, I know I am going to hopefully create uh, the next generation of empath chefs, right? Of people who give a shit. God, we need that. We need that so badly because I, I see so many people in pain. And I see a lot of people who want something better and it's just that they haven't seen it. So they don't know what it looks like or sort of how to get there. And there is that terror because people are sort of inculcated to, to, uh, you know, believe that unless you are this particular kind of abusive, hard ass, you know, et cetera, like you're not going to get there. And that's just because they haven't had that good leadership and that good example. And I see people, you know, trying to break the cycle, but it's, you know, and, and they, and, but I think the thing that they've done for people who've been able to do it is they give the people around them uh, permission to call them on it. Like, mm-hmm. Hey, you're, you know, you're doing that thing or, or mm-hmm. something and been giving people that permission. I, Cause I think like making people, again, feel safe that their job is not in jeopardy because they happen to, you know, speak up like that is, I used to work at a place where one day uh, the uh, owner of the company, who was just a source of constant chaos and pain, um, went <laughs> walking through the middle of the office and he was just proclaiming to no one in particular. He says, love you today, hate you tomorrow, welcome to name of place, where we yeah. use emotional terrorism to keep people on their toes. And oh, I thought <laughs> it was such a relief to hear him say that out loud because I knew this is deliberate. Oh my God. And luckily like a yeah. friend also heard it and she like, you know, G chatted me and it was like, did he just say that? I'm like, yeah, and I wrote it down. But he, <laughs> he had on the first day that I worked there, um, like there had been like a mistake in social media or something. Like somebody had made a, a typo and he came over and humiliated her like in the middle of like my first staff meeting there. And 
at my next job, which was with a couple of the people who'd been there before the first day, somebody made a mistake in the social media. All that happened was our boss said, Hey, there's a typo in the tweet. Can somebody fix it? And my shoulder, and I, my neck came out, <laughs> my shoulders <laughs> dropped. But it, it took somebody like saying that, like you're safe. And in this time of chaos, I think none of us can be told often enough that kind of thing. It lets you do better work. Yeah. I, I mean, like I said, this is a so continuing and I'm, I'm, I'm a forever student of life and I'm a, a very much aware of all my faults. And the beauty <laughs> of it is when you get to a certain point, like where I'm at now is I will say my fault. Hey, before you go and judge me, I will tell you that I'm bad at this, 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 <laughs> not it, but like keep your shit to yourself. Like, I don't, I don't want to hear it. If I'm doing something wrong to you, please tell me, but if you're just going to point out my faults without giving me this, like reciprocal relationship I don't want mm-hmm. I have no time for it right uh, and I always even with my kids my teenage kids when they were younger I mean I remember telling James six years ago uh, if I was my son is James and he's 17 now so he's always been he's like my husband if I like I'm late he'll call me and be like where are you? <laughs> um, and he is my protector he has definitely get taken that role onto himself and I remember telling him when I started this, this process and realizing when I was lashing out um, involuntarily and like bleeding over people, so to speak. Yeah, I've, I've done that. that. <laughs> <laughs> We're human. And the best part of my entire journey was being able to say to people that I'm fallible and that I, people want to put a superhero cape on me, but also I get really fucking tired sometimes. And <sighs> I look at my son often and my daughter now she's she's now mature enough to not take it personally when I tell them I just need you guys to not talk to me for a few minutes because I really need to work through some shit and I really don't want to be bad I don't want to be not bad but I don't want to have you pay for what I'm going through and I just need some space and I tell my sous chef that too I will my you know my pantry chef is like I said, she's been with me for five years. I can look at her and she knows when I need to step away, you know, like, yeah. and I posted uh, a while back my, my GM at El Jardin, you know, I was exhausted beyond belief of, you know, I had a really shitty business partner and I was, so it was towards the end and my GM put a note on the door. If you fucking wake her up, I'll fucking kill you. And I was like, <laughs> That's the people that I've surrounded myself with, people that don't judge me for being human and being able to ask for help. Like, just because you're the leader doesn't mean that you don't need a day off from that. Oh, God, that's so true. And, you know, we talk about this at work all the time. You know, uh, like Hunter will, you know, like take a day off or, you know, take a, you know, a small amount of vacation. And uh, I remember I, I, I was telling him, I'm like, you know, thank you for like, doing that and setting boundaries because it lets the rest of us know that we can also take that time off mm-hmm. as well because you have yeah. to see that modeled for you because otherwise you just live in this you know this culture of absolute terror and like and if the thing that you are afraid of is taking care of yourself like having that yeah. kind of space you know and that's all I don't care who the hell you are you are suffering right now through something because this yeah. is I mean, this is the first time in our lives when, you know, this has just been a global thing and people are, you know, dealing with unimaginable loss on all different mm-hmm. fronts. And I saw a tweet like last week, um, somebody saying like, 
actually uh, Brian Koppelman, who's who's a good friend of mine, like had tweeted about like saying, you just have to go into situations assuming that somebody is struggling right now because mm-hmm. they may not tell you, but everybody's got something going on right now. But you have to say it out loud sometimes if you're the leader. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's not easy. It's, yeah. it's not easy, you know? There, and yeah. yeah. Cause there are people who will try to take advantage of that. And, and uh, that's not good. Right. Yeah. It's, you know, I, I listen to a lot of hip hop and I, and I always, you know, I try to be like the, I'm like a forever student, giant book nerd, giant nerd in general. Yeah. And, but one of my favorite quotes is like Tupac. It's like, I want you to eat. I just don't want you at my table that like <laughs> protect your vibe. Right. Like I don't, you don't always have to be nice to everyone and it's okay to, to draw that line in the sand and us doing it where, you know, when you get to a, a point where people are looking up to you, gives them permission to also do it. And, and sometimes it, it even comes back to, to like, to me personally of, Oh shit, I, I hurt your feelings. Well, thank you. And then they call me out on it. That's exactly the, how it should be. Yeah. Because humanity is exhausting enough and we don't need <laughs> to add to it. You know, it's like, we don't need to add to it. The Russian doll. Have you ever seen the Russian doll show? Oh God. Yes. The, where she was like, the universe is fucking with me. Like that is <laughs> our daily life. And, and we don't need to add to it. <laughs> no. And it's funny. We were actually recording this on Groundhog Day. <laughs> we did air a couple of days later, but we're recording, you know, but it's that same thing that you were talking about before where there's this sort of like generational like habits of doing things. And I think we are at this unique point in, in history, though, who knows, history does repeat itself. We've had pandemics before and not learned from it. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, you know, but we are at this this place where you know, while we are, are separate in so many ways, we're interconnected more than we have in other kind of ways. And we're all in, in each other's phones and, and doing that, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm so interested to see what ends up coming out of this. And I wanted to ask you, like, because I feel like you will have a good answer for, for this. If somebody <laughs> wanted to get started, like really taking care of them themselves, is there a book you would have them read, a podcast, a, you know, something like some like kind of tangible blueprint that they could follow to start? For me, um, well, I, my understanding, again, if this is if you believe in it, understanding what was happening in the universe when I was born and the story of the people that came before me um, in my personal family. Uh, then it was journaling every thought you have get it out of your system like you cannot uh, your body is incredible is it it's so smart and it, it I mean that fight or flight all these things that we have we are not living into our fullest potential if we don't hear the things the noise that our body's telling us like our brain's yeah. saying hey we're about to break you need to do something or this is going to be fucking messy, you know, and we, we ignore it because of norms and you got to be tough and all the stupid cliches we're brought up with and journaling and getting it out, burning the paper if you need to. Yeah. Even if it's not nice things, get it out of your system. Don't, don't, you know, bleed over people that didn't cut you. That is. Ooh, I like that. Right. And you know, holding on to grudges and holding on to bad feelings, it just welcomes more bad things to your life. 
So I always lead from a place of yes and deal with my own bullshit before I help anyone else. And that is journaling. There wasn't a book. I haven't read a book that was like, when I first started doing all this, it was really, uh, I went inward. Um, mm. And I'm, a, I'm a lone wolf by nature. I'm like the most introverted extrovert. You'll meet. <laughs> but uh, it That's was really loving myself. Yeah, I'm an ambivert. And uh, <laughs> I can't love anyone if I don't love myself. And it was a, a, a the journey starts with staring in the mirror and telling yourself you love yourself. And that is, there's no author that's going to explain that to you. You already know that. Like you, you can look in the mirror and see exactly what you need to do. And, you know, I do vision boards. It's like, it's my teenage scrapbooking, loving heart. Yes. And, and that is what creates, manifest the future you want to see. And the person I want to see is someone that, wakes up every freaking day super excited to do the same shit over and over again you know? <laughs> I, be happy in the Hook day <laughs> yeah I was like I don't get bored you know people that get bored just lack imagination and it's oh yeah if, if you want to get started in this in this like self-realization journey a lot of it just starts with actually checking yourself and what you need like you know one of those like uh like the game of operations you put the tweezers and see exactly where you're going to beep if someone were to touch you know like poke you in the shoulder or poke you in the knee like where you're going to react where you have pain stored yeah. and understand oh shit you know yeah you're right well you know for me it was my father was incredibly hard on me but he spent 11 years in military school because his father told my grandmother, I will kill him if you don't send him away. And my grandfather was an orphan, so he never got love. And it was just this, oh shit. Like you start to literally do your family tree would be first and then see exactly where your patterns lie and then go in and see, you know what? This isn't loving to me. This is not my bullshit that I'm carrying. This is theirs. I love you, but this is no longer loving to me. And then just making amends and the beauty of being an adult is telling even even your parents if you if they bring you a lot of stress, I love you, but I don't want you in my life. And that is something that is really hard. But if you don't come to that point of, of not maybe not in your life, maybe it's, you know, I love you in small doses or <laughs> I love you, but I need to tell you when you hurt my feelings. You know, I've set that boundary with my mom and I hurt your feelings sometimes, but I can no longer handle shitty opinions about humanity from anyone or bigot comments like I cannot hold it in when I hear someone say something bad about an entire group of people like I will my head will spin in circles over and over to set them straight of hey asshole no you know and it got <laughs> me a no battle rap yeah. for that yeah I, I have or now should... I have tact. yeah <laughs> right it's like tact is really the thing like telling someone to go fuck themselves and, and with a smile on your face but being able to do that in a more eloquent way has really been transformational to me but I, I, yeah, I, yeah I mean it's got me in trouble in Top Chef and I was the heel my husband my ex-husband told me well you know everyone WWE everyone wants a heel so you're the heel <laughs> but I will always speak for the people that aren't speaking for themselves 
I mean, my, my line for that often is if I see somebody behaving shit, you know, I will call, you know, address it directly and mm -hmm. stuff, but sometimes somebody needs to hear you're better than that, or don't you yeah. want to be better than that? And it's, it is, yeah. and it's beautiful because it's, you know, it carries shame, yeah. <laughs> which, is, which is a really, uh, you know, gorgeous tactic. And, you know, now yeah. I'm thinking about it, like you should be the one to write this book, not like you don't have 10 notes <laughs> on, on your I would so happily buy like a notebook from you, like, like a, like a you branded notebook. Uh, like there's a journal or something like that. Like <laughs> if you're selling merch for your restaurant. <laughs> yeah, not a bad idea. Yeah. yeah. So may I ask you some questions that I ask all my guests or like, okay, I've been yeah. spotty about this since the pandemic, but I love hearing the answers to these. Okay. <laughs> okay. First of all, have, have you ever cried in the walk-in? Yes. Okay. I've, I've cried on the line. I've cried in the dish pit. I've cried everywhere. <laughs> I'm a, big, I'm a big crier. I, I mean, I cried. Oh, did I cry today? I don't know. I was watching All Creatures Great and Small last night and I cried <laughs> during that. But like, and I was just reading an article. Maybe I'll drop it in the notes here about like why pandemic crying is such a great idea. <laughs> it's cathartic. It's healthy. It's your body wants you to do it. Don't tamp it down. You'll get ulcers like I have. And that's not fun. And, um, what okay so clearly you're taking care of other people in so many ways like in your life with your kids at at the restaurant like what is the selfish thing it's not selfish it's just like a good thing what is the thing you want for you and i'm saying this because if you, i really believe that if you can say things out into the universe the universe can help you get it and not just like the universe in a like cosmic way but like somebody listening to this i want to I want to live my life thriving instead of surviving. Yeah. I, I want to, you know, I, I make a, I make jokes about it, but because everyone, you know, I come from a family that makes jokes in really uncomfortable situations. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, the moment that I can buy groceries without checking my bank account before, that would mm -hmm. be a really good moment. Oh my God. I was actually was, said something like that on Twitter uh, a couple days ago. Like that was such, when I'd been really painfully, painfully broke for like my first period in New York uh, that I was living there. And I was, and it was really just like, uh, can I buy the ramen or can I, you know, do I have to walk home? Can I subway kind of thing? And I got, yeah. finally got this job. They were late paying me. And just this moment when I was able to go to the grocery store, it uh, was so powerful to me and mm -hmm. yeah, knowing I could feed myself was wow. <laughs> that, yeah. that is as fundamental thing. What is, <laughs> what is your comfort food? My comfort food? Um, any soup. Mm. Soups from different, I mean, ramen, uh, you know, a really good lentil soup, a, a really good clam chowder. Uh, and definitely uh, so the, the first time I tried celery root, actually, this was Gavin. Oh, wow. We were at El Biscocho. And I remember them making uh, a celery root soup. And I never tasted celery root. I didn't even know what it was. Um, and then it was a really crusty sourdough. And I remember dunking that bread and feeling so much freaking love in, in a bite. <laughs> yes. So my comfort food is definitely something saucy like a, a braised you know like just something that you can sop up with either bread or tortillas like that soup uh, stew thing yeah 
Did you see the January issue of Food and Wine was all about sopping? Yes. I'm I'm here for it. (laughs) Sopping is so important. Uh, What is the last meal that you had that made you emotional? Oh, fuck. I haven't gone out anywhere. Um, That made me emotional. uh, So I got to go in August for my birthday. I got to cook in London. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to cook. It was my second festival that I'd done outside of, uh, near Maidenhead and it was a hospitality festival. And, but this in 2019, it was right after I closed El Jardin and I was able to get a reservation at the Fat Duck. Oh, and wow. That was, again, the, I find experiences like those, not about the food, um, but I, it was incredibly emotional for me. Mm-hmm. That a kid from where I came from, you know, growing up in TJ, growing up with two immigrant parents, um, you know, everything. I mean, I there one day will be a memoir of all the shit that I got to to take me to that moment, and yeah, just to look up and you know what what restaurants like that do so well is make you feel seen, you know, yeah. and it's that they gave me and obviously they do that they do their like homework on figuring out who's coming into the restaurant and yeah. um, i got street corn dropped at my table i got wow. it and it was one of those moments where i was with a friend and he looks at me and he goes oh they definitely knew you were coming like they, they, they did their homework and to be eating a in a table in bray in the uk was Again, it was one of those life-affirming moments that I could see all my ancestors, like, nodding their head, like, take this, enjoy this. Oh. That was definitely the moment. I'm tearing up. <laughs> that is such a beautiful <laughs> moment. So yeah. I've actually had to change this next question because of how <laughs> things have been, because I, because I know we can't eat at each other's houses and stuff. It, you know, I used to ask people, like, what is the last meal that somebody made for you in their, in their you know, in their home? And that's such a you know, fragile question right now, but what restaurant meal is the thing that you've been thinking about and you can't wait to get back to? Oh, I don't know. I don't know if it's a meal necessarily, but mm-hmm. I do, I, I cook with friends a lot. Mm-hmm. And my, like the most, um, the thing I'm most looking forward to is, sharing a beer and a line with my friends oh yeah like I just want to like look at them and know that I see you you see me and you know I love you and we need to normalize telling your friends you love them I hate that people make it sexual like I tell my friends all the time I fucking love you and their wives are my best you know like their wives are amazing I like their wives sometimes more than I like them and like (laughs) those those are my buds. Like I, yeah. I cannot wait to be in a restaurant cooking next to my friends. That's, oh. It's not, a, I don't eat out much. I am, I really, I don't, I can't afford to. And I, so when I am in restaurants, I just hope I'm with my friends. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've told two colleagues in the past couple of days that I loved them and yeah. it felt great. It felt really yeah. awesome. Because I genuinely love my colleagues and I yeah. miss them so much. I actually got to go on a, on a walk with um, 
my my work wife margaret this past <laughs> weekend and it just recharged my whole battery so i absolutely get that mm -hmm. uh, now what living musician would you want to cook for and what would you make for them uh zach the love to arrange against the machine i <laughs> would Tell yeah um it's my little punk heart um <laughs> I would cook for I would cook for him. Well, I mean, all of the rage guys. Um, I would love to cook for them, like the United Colors of Mexico, uh, of yeah. north to south. The food that has made me who I am. The mole from Oaxaca, the Sonora tortillas, the flour tortillas from Sonora, coricos from Sonora. The Baja seafood, you know, making them in Aguachile and yeah, just giving them like a tour to Mexico. I would, I would do that. They'd be so lucky. <laughs> Can I just like <laughs> be a fly on the wall for that? That sounds amazing. Like, that just sounds so beautiful. And I hope like, hey, universe, if you have a connection to Rage Against the Machine, make sure <laughs> to send them on over. Please. And then final question. You have five uninterrupted minutes for self-care. What do you do with those? I listen to music. I, my, for me, I have different playlists. Um, it's like, it goes all over the place. Uh, <laughs> but I'm really like the Amelie soundtrack is something that I've written entire menus on. And, um, the most self-care, self-love thing that I can do for myself is light a candle and put my headphones on and listen to a beautiful piano piece. Like, to me, that is uh, a recharge, you know, or listening to Bjork, like, put my headphones on and that, that really yeah. kind of, like, um, it's like when you're when you're squeezing out a towel and there's only so much juice you can get out of it you know and and that <laughs> listening to music like that or highly instrumental strings or piano is like that fanning out of a towel after you squeeze oh it oh my god i kind of want to embed one of your spotify playlists in the, <laughs> in, the <laughs> in the page for for this oh my god like I'll send you my I'll send you my favorite that my friend and I put together. I would love that. And just thank you so much for this conversation. Like I already feel like my shoulders <laughs> dropped. <laughs> so I want to make sure, okay, we're gonna be uh your collective hype man here. If people want to find you on social, where do they do that? Uh Instagram I'm the most um alive and well in, and that's at Quada Cepeda. Um, for our Insta and Twitter, I'm very dormant. I don't understand it. I feel like it, I, I wasn't in it when it started, yeah. and then now I'm like just trying to catch up. Um, and people are really mean on Twitter. Yeah, they really so, can't uh, <laughs> cut that out of your life if you can. I, I personally like. I'm in yeah. it. I built that boat for myself. It's like, yeah, <laughs> I gotta keep sailing it. But I yeah. And then, if people want to, when are you launching your new place, and how can people find it? Uh, well, we are located in Encinitas, California, and you can uh, see, we're looking at, it's a phased opening, so we're looking at open to the public in April. Um, dates That's are so soon. One foot, in front, one foot in front of the other, so I don't like, I don't even repeat dates. <laughs> often. Yeah. 
And and okay, and say the name loud and proud in the website, please. Yes, so it is uh, Alila Morea, the restaurant that is the signature restaurant where I will be at nightly is Baga Restaurant, and that is bagarestaurant.com at Alila Morea uh, Luxury Resort. Cool, and we will put all of these links into the show notes. And just thank you mm-hmm. so much, Claudette, and I cannot wait to come and see you in person. Maybe we'll have a beer and lime. <laughs> that would be the yeah, I mean. Yes, I can't wait to be back in New York. Oh. One day I'll tell you my New York story, oh. my New York salmon uh, story too. Oh my God, <laughs> we'll welcome you with open arms. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much to my guest today, Claudette Zepeda. You can find links to more about her in the show notes, including the recipe for those tacos that she talked about. They are absolutely extraordinary. And I I think as soon as I stop recording, I'm going to go and make that and get it in my face as soon as humanly possible. Thank you to her. And thank you to Antara Sinha for being such a brilliant producer and colleague and everything else. And also to Sarah Crowder for always getting us the images together for this. Sarah, you just, you're my vibestress. And, you know, I mentioned up top that this podcast is part of Food and Wine Pro, which we are so lucky to get to do. It is the section of food and wine in all different forms where we're really trying to tell the stories of the people who are working in the industry and everything that they're going through, both to educate the general public, but also so people feel like they have some solidarity in this and maybe can find some answers. Everyone is struggling right now. Uh, You know, we kept talking about losing our necks. I know that one all too much. And I just, you know, I Food and Wine Pro can often be a collective shoulder drop, which is really huge and important to me. And you can find all the stories that we were doing and the latest podcasts and all of that at foodandwine.com fwpro. And there you can also sign up for the Food and Wine Pro newsletter, which is uh, written by our editor-in-chief Hunter Lewis with backup by uh, brilliant colleague and Hunter's brilliant too. Hey, Hunter, you're, you're all just great freaking people. Um, but sorry, tangent there. I just love my colleagues so much. But uh, if you sign up for the newsletter, you will get the most important stories in the professional food world in your inbox every week, linked to the latest podcast, and uh, just the news you need to know from us and from elsewhere. And, uh, you know, it's in the magazine as well. And someday, again, in person, we're going to get to actually sit down with uh, people and uh, and talk this out and do events and stuff. And we're really, really looking forward to that day. Um, if you have enjoyed this episode, it, I'd be so grateful if wherever you heard it, you leave stars and reviews, like subscribe, share it with someone who you think could stand to hear this and, you know, feel the solidarity of it, uh, because that really, that helps us so much to be found in the search algorithms, lets us keep doing this show, justify it to uh, the good people who let us make this show, and I would appreciate it so, so much. And I really, really hope you are taking care of yourself. I hope you do that until the next time we talk, and I am going to give our brilliant colleagues, again with the brilliance, Kelsey Youngman, the final word. She is going to share the mantra that she reads 
she reads a different one each week at our Monday morning meeting. It sets my week off to a really, really good start. Take it away, Kelsey. Hello there, it's Kelsey. I'm the associate food editor at Food & Wine, and I'm back with another mantra. There is no deadline. Okay, so sometimes there literally is a deadline. But what I mean here is the larger kind of deadline, the kind we make up in our heads that constantly loom over us. I'll be happy when, I'll rest when, I'll be an less anxious when. And yet that goalpost always moves. There's always a new tension, a new challenge, some new imperfection. So instead of being dragged around by these unending deadlines and higher and higher bars to clear, let's stop waiting and see what we can do right now. How we can find imperfect rest and joy and breathing room right now in the midst of very real difficulty. Give yourself and each other grace and space. There is no deadline.